one of the flaws that we see in so many entrepreneurs is this need to continue to prove to themselves and the world that they aren't just the idea people, but they're the brilliance behind what happens. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Ben Fishman, who is the founder of Launch. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, and thanks for having me today. Hey, it's a pleasure. So I want to start a little bit with your uh, the journey that you've been on. Uh, you know, Over your career, you've been really one of the leading retail innovators out there. Can you tell me briefly about the journey starting with Lids and going through Rulala? Yeah, so um, you know, a long time ago now, I was a student at Boston University. Like most students at the time, had no idea what I wanted to do. And being an entrepreneur was not on the list necessarily. I was a college kid and I was sitting in the back of lecture halls with with lots of other kids and we were all wearing baseball caps and we would often try to go and find a new baseball cap that we wanted and and that was always a struggle. And out of that simple notion came the idea for lids, which was why is it so hard to find baseball hats you like? And so the thread was I was the consumer and the market was, this is how I'd say it now, not how I would have said it then, but I was the consumer and the market didn't understand what I wanted. It didn't seem like rocket science. So I decided to go out and try to create an experience that had what I wanted. And that was in essence, the nascent beginning of, of lids, a business that I launched out of my apartment, my, uh, my junior year of college. And the advantage that I had, I believed, was that I understood what the customer wanted. I didn't know a lot else, but I understood what the customer wanted and focused on, on trying to provide that customer with stuff that, that they weren't being served with elsewhere. And by the way, when I started that, that first retail store, the vision wasn't to create hundreds of stores across the country that did the same thing. That vision came to life as, as I began and as we began to see success building that business sort of day by day and week by week and month by month and recruiting buddies of mine in, in, in school to come and work in the store and, and whatnot. It also served as, for me personally, as, as the training ground for so many of the things that, that have driven me through the last 25 years or so. So why don't I pause there and, and, and make sure I don't go on too long and let you ask questions and then continue. That's perfect. So you talk about that consumer understanding and you know really that consumer voice driving you. How did that consumer vice lead you to what ultimately became Rulala and launching that business? So if you look at all the different things that I've been a part of, none of them are rocket science. They're all taking existing industries, existing models, and trying to better the experiences. You know, I'm not an inventor. I'm far from an inventor. I'm a pretty practical business builder. And whether it be lids and selling baseball caps, I mean, what could sound more generic than that? Or Rula Law, which in essence, in its simplest, at its simplest level, was selling off-price merchandise online. But for me, Rula Law, the opportunity was how do you do it in a different way than just lining the racks with clothing as far as the eye can see? But how do you create what the internet can provide, which is some theater and some excitement? And how do you translate off-price shopping online? And to us, the way to translate off-price shopping online was leveraging the digital vehicles for what it was great at, the incredible convenience, the simplicity of being able to come back every day and check it out. You know, you wouldn't want to drive to a, to a TJ Maxx every day because you knew there'd be new stuff. That'd be a pain. But 
pretty easy to go visit www.rulala.com. And so the thesis was centrally, how do we create a business that leverages this paradigm? Being able to come back so easily every day. In the off-price world, the opportunistic nature of finding stuff is fun, but it's also a pain because you might go to the store in the wrong, at the wrong time. Well, the internet solved that. You can go to the store every day as briefly as you want and see what's new. And so the business model was centrally built around the notion of that. You know, I think the most common thread from being a junior at, at Boston University to, to Rula Law or on to some of the other stuff that, that we built was the teams that surrounded these businesses, the teams that built these businesses. And it was my greatest lesson at Lids, an, an unknown lesson early on, but it became the only way that, that I personally have known how to create success is, is building these teams that are so much more powerful than the idea itself and building these teams that can, can really execute and create something special. So that's a great connection to what you're doing today. So as I mentioned, you're the, the founder of Launch. Can you tell me a little bit more about Launch and what makes you know, what brands make up the, the portfolio? Yeah, so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. We had sold Rulala. I had spent some time with the acquirer and, and, and I was searching through, did I wanna go off and start a new business again? I was being pulled down the investor track from people that had supported me so well over the years. And it was sort of my turn to, to be the investor. And I was, I was struggling because I'm a glutton for punishment. I love operating. I love pivoting businesses when you have to figure out how to make them succeed. Because from my perspective, no business building is a straight line. You always have peaks and valleys. And those pivot points are fascinating to me. I love working with teams. And I didn't want to just be a passive investor. But once again, did I want to? Did I want to just run one business? And I'm not Jack Dorsey. You know, I didn't believe I could be the CEO of multiple businesses and have each of those be fabulously successful. That, from what I could tell, running each of these businesses took all of your time and all of your energy and all of your mind. You never stop thinking about it. And, and that's where we came up with the idea for launch. And the idea was to leverage my experiences and some of my partner's experiences across the business building world from idea conception to trying to figure out if it made sense to fundraising and structuring of a balance sheet and structuring of a, of a cap table to building a team to testing and rolling and running and actually building the business. So we gave birth to this concept, which was that we would develop ideas internally within launch or people would come to us with ideas and our goal would be to match those ideas with great entrepreneurs who wanted to build businesses and that could leverage our team and our experiences and to some degree our platform to give those ideas a greater chance of, of actually coming to life and, and creating success. So by definition, we are not a venture capital firm. We were not conceived to be a venture capital firm. We don't invest passively and take minority positions and, and have it be one of the many, many businesses that we look at. We often create these businesses from scratch, whether they're our ideas or people, people's ideas who come to us, and we participate in actively in the building blocks of, of idea creation and of team creation. And we certainly provide the initial capital to build these businesses and don't allow ourselves and our partners to get distracted in those very early days by always being on the road trying to raise capital but we really focus on getting the ideas off the ground, finding some success, which then obviously makes fundraising down the line that much easier. And the most important thing, you know, I mentioned to you 
before we got on the on the call today that this is the first time I've ever actually spoken about launch specifically. We've refused all interviews about launch over the last six, seven years, because to me, it's always been about these businesses. And launch is just the vehicle behind these businesses that maybe provides them a bit larger of an unfair advantage. But the businesses and the brands are what matter. And at the end of the day, each of these businesses are run by great teams, great CEOs, great leaders, and their success comes from that. They come from the organization, the teams, and the leaders. Once again, I think what we can provide is in those early days, we can provide some opportunities to to avoid the classic mistakes, maybe make some new mistakes, and really partner with, with the entrepreneurs and with the teams to help find success. So let's talk a little bit about those those founders. As you mentioned, the importance of teams is so essential to these where have you found the entrepreneurs and how do you uniquely match them up to that problem that they're going to live and breathe and think about every day? Through a variety of different mechanisms, mostly though, it is through our network and our community. So many of our businesses, so when we started launch, we realized two things. One is, well, I guess three things. One is we were going to figure out as we go that all the rules weren't written because we were creating something new. Two was that um, we would be as good as the teams that we could identify and put together. And three is based on that, how do we acquire talent constantly? So many of the founders of the businesses actually came from our own ecosystem that we may be brought into launch as partners of ours early on as operating partners, some of the best members of the team and some of our best CEOs were people that were doing some analysis for us or were doing some, some helpful work in identifying opportunities for us. And other times, it was it was simply leveraging networks that that we had and meeting with people constantly. And and it's you know it's my favorite thing in the world is just literally just finding great interesting people and talking to them. And right away, light bulbs go off as I'm talking to these people, realizing, wow, this is someone I want to partner with. This is someone I want to I want to go into business with. And I've been doing that my whole life. It's become that much more important now because finding this these great leaders that can take these businesses and make them their own versus being hired as CEOs, that is the most important part of, of identifying these talents. So a variety of vehicles in each of the businesses that we've created has a slightly different story for the founders. And it's, it's, um, it's not formulaic by nature. So one of your newest businesses is uh, Brunt Workwear. So how did Brunt come about, both as an so, idea, but then Eric as the founder? Yeah, so um, Eric Gerard, the founder of, of Brunt Workwear, came to work with me almost out of college. I think it was, he was two, two years out of college when I was the CEO of Rue La So a while back and his initial role was as my chief of staff. And in that role, Eric basically was with me 24 by seven, no easy job and not something, no pain I would necessarily want to exact on anybody necessarily, but he was with me all the time and helping to take the work that I was doing and make it that much more digestible for my teams. So he got a lot of exposure for from the, the most unique, highest level interactions to the mundane daily business operations. And the goal that I always had for that chief of staff role was to incubate great talent, was to identify great people, give them unique opportunities to participate in the highest level discussions and the lowest level discussions and everything in between with the belief that, that you could turn those, those people into or help transform those people into great future leaders. And Eric's a good example of that. He went on to do biz dev and marketing and sales. And then when, when we created Launch, he joined me and the team and, and became one of our partners in helping diligence the different ideas that we wanted to create. And he participated in the, in the creation of the first few businesses. And, and one day he came to me and he 
described this idea he had, and it was a no-brainer. He was a no-brainer entrepreneur to partner with. He was a no-brainer entrepreneur to bet on and believe in. And the idea that he came up with, I thought, was very good. I don't get overly lost in in the greatness of an idea. I mostly focus on the greatness of the talent and if the idea feels commercially viable. And the idea felt commercially viable and the entrepreneur felt great. And that's where the idea came from. And what was the idea that Eric brought to you for Brunt? So the idea was was sort of simple. It was that there were no modern brands focusing on creating a workwear experience for the everyday tradesman, for the blue collar worker, for the construction worker, for the for the electricians and whatnot. That there was Carhartt and and many other of these historic head to toe brands that sold boots and sold jackets. But there were no modern brands that leveraged the power of modern technology, that leveraged the power of modern media, that that connected with the new generation of tradespeople to create a brand that they could love. And for him, there was two huge focuses for the business. One was a brand, not just someone that made product, but a brand that this consumer could really identify with. And two was a set of products that met the needs bullseye of what this consumer wanted, but leverage the power of disintermediation and of working directly with the customer, tying the supply chain and the customer together with nothing in between and being able to provide this great product at a a great value. And today you can visit bruntworkwear.com. And I really think of Brunt Workwear as a cross between a figs, which has done such an amazing job of, of disrupting, modernizing, innovating the healthcare uniform business. But I also see Brunt a little bit as a Yeti, which is creating a brand and a set of products that the customer just covets. Loves having, loves showing off the brand, loves the functionality, and loves the association. And I think that the Brunt fits right into that mold of a great uniform, a modern uniform for this for this long ignored class of of, of consumers and a brand and a collection of of hero products that the customer is super proud to have and is always looking for the next new thing within that brand assortment. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. With Brunt, it was your uh, within the la- team launch portfolio. It's your second footwear business, but a very, very different footwear business. What's the rest of the portfolio look like? Yeah, so the first business, the first thing we created is a brand called M Jemmy, and M Jemmy is a Italian footwear brand, or at this point, Italian footwear and accessories brand that works with these incredible artisans in in Italy exclusively, and provides these artisans that are that are getting that are getting their asses kicked, quite frankly because everyone's left Italy for, for areas where you can produce products at a far cheaper price. Our goal was to provide these fabulous artisans with a platform that could bring their unique and incredible capabilities to life 
and provide them with a place to survive and prosper. And by definition, if we do that, our belief was we could create a collection of products that leverage this unique supply chain that the customer would go crazy for and do it all at a price point that was a bit more realistic than some of the classic luxury brands. And Mgemi, like almost all of our other businesses, there's a bunch of different things that make it unique because there's plenty of shoe companies out there and there's plenty of Italian shoes out there. So what could Mgemi do that was unique? And our goal was to leverage a supply chain that could create newness at a pace that the world had never seen before and have it be of highest quality. And it's actually interesting as a, as a side note, right now the supply chain has never been more valuable as, as the Far East is having all these struggles and, and we're able to produce products and, and you know, we can get a new product to the, from, from Italy to our, to our warehouse here in the US in a six week period. So it's been a really fascinating, call it two or three months given the supply chain challenges. But that was the first business. Second business that we created is a company called Rockets of Awesome. And that was a collaboration that we'd identified this really interesting opportunity in, in the kids apparel space where we saw kids apparel as a race to the bottom, who could make the cheapest products at the cheapest prices and offer the, the least amount of service possible. And our goal was, well, how do you better that category? Because moms and kids and dads and kids, the last thing they have is time. They love quality and the category deserved to be better. And we ended up partnering with, uh, with an unbelievable entrepreneur whose name is Rachel Blumenthal. And she had also been looking at the kids category and wanting to do something to make it far more modern, far better, and, and an experience that moms and dads could actually engage in versus suffer through. And that became rocketsofawesome.com. The next business, a company called Foline, and uh, we met an amazing entrepreneur. Her name is Tara Foley, and she was on the cutting edge of, of clean beauty, basically discovered that the products that she was using for skincare and, and elsewhere in her body, whether it was ingesting or it was topically, that so much of the products was actually, while it was making her look better potentially, it was doing incredible harm to her body. And she did incredible amounts of research and initially wanted to create a marketplace that where, where she could make sure that all the products that she was selling fit the clean standards that she believed critical for customers to be using on their bodies. In essence, you don't have to just because you want to look good or feel good with the products you're using, it doesn't mean it has to make you sick. Why can't it actually be good for you? And that gave birth to the business Folane. Folane has been transformed from not just a brand, a platform that sells lots of other safe brands, but, but Tara's done a great job of building out her own brand of products based on all the learning she's gained over the last bunch of years. The next one we created is a company called Trade. It's the URL is drinktrade.com. And this is in the coffee business. And there's some, actually some interesting similarities between between Trade and Folane and Mgemi because all of their supply chains are, are pretty unique. The goal with, with Trade was to, to, to really change the coffee business. The coffee business is an incredible industry, an industry I knew nothing about, except I knew I needed to drink coffee every day, but very quickly learned through some unique partnerships with some folks just how unique this category is and was. And the idea behind Trade was to take these the, this massively fragmented market of coffee bean roasters, of, of roasters all around the country, of which there's thousands, and provide these roasters a platform where they could reach consumers. So in every town, in every city, there are these small independent roasters that create this incredible coffee that people in those towns or cities swear by. But if you don't live in one of those towns or cities, you don't even know it exists. And trade's job is to identify all of these fabulous coffee roasters, all of these fabulous small brands and put them on a platform that provides 
consumers from around the country access to them. And, and the goal of trade is to match coffee drinkers, coffee lovers, if you will, with their favorite roasts of coffee from brands and, and experiences that they never would have seen before. And in essence, become their place where they get their coffee. And our, our trade customers get their coffee shipped to them direct from roaster, roasted directly for them, basically on a weekly or biweekly or bi or bi-monthly basis. And we are their their source for their great coffee that they drink all day, every day. And then Single Eye is the only business in our portfolio that broke our rules. So one of the rules that we that we created day one was that we're going to be involved in businesses that we understand how to create, where we have relevant experience. We're not just going to be opportunistic. Just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean we're the best people to do it. And so, so many of our business have so much in common, right? They're, they're consumer facing, they're frequently direct to consumer exclusively, they leverage unique supply chain and they leverage creating an emotional brand connection, which is everything to us. That brand connection is, is everything. At MGemi, we realized that we needed to leverage unique data to ensure that this rapid supply chain could, could really work well. You know, we had this business that could make fashion product in season, in market, how do we make sure that we're capturing data that ensures that we're designing and creating the right product? So we built out a whole suite of tools and hired a bunch of data scientists to help build this, this demand forecasting system out. And the, the leader of that part of our business, a gentleman named Ben Kelly, really built a, a fascinating system that has helped to power MGemi's growth. And he came to me and said, we're just nipping at the surface of this opportunity with what we're doing here in MGemi that by the way, Rockets of Awesome ended up using as well. But he came and said, you're just nipping at the surface here. And I'd like to create a new business that really modernizes how the customer, how, how businesses think about demand forecasting, leveraging supply chain, and in essence, turning inventory into a far more valuable asset. And the reason I say it's the only one that stands out, I'm not a, I'm not a SaaS guy. I can't provide Ben with the greatest information and feedback and knowledge about how to build a great SaaS business. But he is so compelling and the business opportunity is so obvious, all of our brands needed it. So we supported Ben in creating Singlai and he's been live now for about a year and, and is signing up fabulous clients and is at the start of his journey. But, it, but thus far, it looks like a real opportunity because it's a huge need. And what ties all these together is none of them are, you know, holy crap, here's a new idea that no one's ever thought of before. These are all industries that have existed, that have had some level of scale, that have thousands of competitors, which we love. There's an identified market that obviously already loves these categories, these opportunities, and we just want to do it a little bit different. We want to do it a little bit better. I love that from a portfolio standpoint. And you know, as you said, the thing that ties it together, when you have one of these entrepreneurs come and bring you an idea, what is it that you're looking for in that entrepreneur to know that they're the one that can go do this idea? You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of intangibles and I wish it was more formulaic. It would make our lives so much easier, right? But I guess I start with, with just raw horsepower. Like, do these people have real horsepower? Do these people have, have real intelligence that can help them be rapid decision makers and make the best possible decisions? Do they have passion for the idea that they want to pursue? Have they thought about it in so many different ways, not because they've done their homework, but because they believe in it so much? Can they be, will they be great leaders? And what does that mean to me? Can they attract great talent and motivate the crap out of that talent? And can they give that talent the room to actually make decisions and run their businesses? You know, I talked about, I learned all these lessons at, at LIDS as a junior in college. 
the most important lesson that I learned at Lids was in that first year or two of creating that business. I understood the baseball cap business better than anybody else. No one in the, I don't think anyone understood in the world what the customer wanted better than me, but I had no idea how to build a business. I was the most knowledgeable baseball cap guy, no great honor, but it was mine. But I also had no idea exactly what needed to be done to create the type of business that could create success. And so I had to surround myself with a ton of people that knew a lot more than I did. And it wasn't out of wisdom, it was out of necessity. And not only did I have to surround myself with those people, but I actually had to give them the room to make decisions. And one of the flaws that we see in so many entrepreneurs is this need to continue to prove to themselves and the world that they aren't just the idea people, but they're the brilliance behind what happens. And for me, that had nothing to do with it. For me, the only way I could prove to people that lids could be successful was if I had people that knew how to do a lot of other things that I didn't know how to do. And so when I look at entrepreneurs today, I want to make sure that, that they have the confidence in surrounding themselves with people that can drive the business and that can make decisions and that they don't need to be the sole star of the show. And the sole star of the show, boy, that's a dangerous path. And that may, at the end of the day, once you've done all of the obvious checks of, of capabilities and experience and whatnot, that notion of, of building their ability to build a business with the team and allow the team to grow and be exceptional is one of the most, most important criteria. I want to talk a little bit more about that and the ability to give them room to make decisions. How do you balance as the founder of Launch and you know, the funder of most of these ideas mentoring and guiding and teaching the entrepreneurs that you funded, but also giving them the room to make decisions as the CEO of their business. Yeah, I think that was the hardest part for me early, early on. And I say to people often when they meet with me for the first time when I'm talking about, and I'm describing a bit, I say, when I give ideas or thoughts, they sound like answers. They sound like edicts. Like that's the way it should be. I talk very passionately and very directly. And I explain to people, what I'm saying is not necessarily the right answer. Don't be confused by my, by my conviction or my passion with the notion that I'm sure I'm right, because I'm not. But early on, as I was beginning this journey, I realized that I had to learn how to really stand, stand back and communicate my beliefs in a way that left room for everyone else. And that my conviction didn't get in the way of great ideas, because my conviction is not always right by any means. And so it was one of the most important lessons that I had to learn. And, you know, I'm just a, I'm an old fashioned entrepreneur, meaning I learned things the hard way. Uh, I bang my head against the wall and I realize I don't want to hit that wall again. So early on, I had to learn a lot of those lessons. Today, I don't make any decisions for these businesses. I refuse to make any decisions for these businesses. If I'm making decisions for these businesses, then either I've put the wrong people in these businesses or, or even worse, I've not given these great people the opportunity for success. I simply try to provide them with, with different ways of thinking about problem solving. Frequently, I, I talk about providing them with frameworks. So instead of just giving answers to questions, say, what is the question we're really trying to answer? And what are the different possible things that we could do to answer the question? Sort of step back from the, from the immediate issue and try to frame it out in a, at a slightly more strategic level. And one of the unique things that I've learned is I don't offer the advice without being asked. If Eric at Brunt Workwear is doing all the things that he believes is the right thing to be doing and he hasn't come to me with something specific, I don't just volunteer it. You know, I, I hope that my entrepreneurs will, will come to me when they want my help and when they want my advice and when they want my counsel. At the end of the day, my job and the jobs of the other board members in these companies is to make sure we have the right people in place and to make sure we can offer them the resources they need when they ask for them, when they need them. And that's what I try to do most. But it's, it's been a, the piece that has been 
it's been the largest learning curve for me is learning how not to be the decision maker, but to be part of the process to help making the best decisions. And it's for an entrepreneur who's used to driving hard and fast, it's, it's not been the simplest pattern for me to break. That's an amazing lesson for people to learn, though, that's for sure. So when you think about what's next for launch and for you know, your entrepreneurs and your businesses, where do you see the future headed? Well, we have a few different businesses right now that are uh, in development. And I actually think it's more of what we are doing. I think that every day, you know, the, the notion of, of trying to come up with an idea to launch a business to me is, is frightening. I have people come speak to me all the time who have recently graduated from business school. And they say they're in a room on a whiteboard trying to develop an idea. And that to me would be, would be I wouldn't know how to do that. But in everyday life, we experience these moments where you're doing something and you realize, holy shit, there's a better way to do this. You know, I recently got a new puppy, our second dog. And the amount of lessons that I've learned about what doesn't exist, everyone thinks, well, the pet business has been on fire and everyone, you know, every opportunity is taken. And I have this new puppy and there's five different ideas that we've developed from my experience in having this new puppy that, that the world, that, that my guess is one of them is something that should come to life. I do believe supply chain in the, especially in the e-commerce business, you know, having a supply chain that can do things in a unique and different way, having a supply chain that can operate with speed is incredibly important in this world. Data is so powerful now. The problem is if your supply chain is a year or two out, it's hard to use data to make decisions. So I think rapid supply chains, rapid manufacturing is, is a huge opportunity for the future. And we're focused on that world for sure. I think that the I think you know businesses are going to need to exist in all channels. So we're looking at developing businesses that don't just leverage e-commerce, but leverage all different ways of reaching the consumer and, and whether it be online, offline, all different device types, all different experience types. To us, you need to live everywhere. We believe building brands has never, ever, ever been more important. It's never been easier to launch businesses, as you know. There's so many ways. You know, technology, 10 years ago, you had to spend millions of dollars to build websites. Shopify, I would argue, is not only obviously cheaper and faster, but it's actually better. It's got better tools and a better ecosystem of software developers than anything else that has ever existed. And it's, it's of nominal cost. So it's never been easier to launch businesses. There's, there's new products and new businesses flying through people's Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds with new products. And no one has any idea what they are, who they're created by. Are they real businesses? Are they fake businesses? Hence, never been easier to create a business, never been harder to build a brand. And for those businesses that build brands, that really build trusted experiences that connect emotionally with the consumer, we actually think the opportunities are bigger than they've ever been. So our central thesis is about building brands that truly emotionally connect with a specific consumer base. And if we can do that, we think the opportunity is endless. Well, I think that's a perfect point to kind of bring, uh, bring to a close on the conversation. I can't thank you enough for sitting down and telling us about the journey with, uh, with Launch and all the amazing brands that you've helped launch. Hey, thanks for the time. I really appreciate uh, talking about the businesses. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.